I know a lot of skilled people that have bad beliefs and they are not successful. Right. And those two things are not enough because you need the character traits to actually incorporate it into who you are so that it's not effort anymore. It's just who you become. So then it's easier to get to the next level because there is no place where you stop if you choose to create what I call their empire. Welcome, everybody, to The Chris Harder Show, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success, knowing that when good people like you make good money, they can then do great things. My name is Chris Harder, and several times per week, I will bring you epic guests, solo episodes, and every single tool, trick, and skill set you need to grow your business, grow your money mindset, and to grow your wealth to levels that you have never reached before. I've ended up in a unique place in life where I've got the experience, the connections, and all of the secrets that it takes to be successful. And and I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Chris Harder Show, where we absolutely believe that both prosperity and generosity can and must coexist. Really, really excited for today because this is one of the best interviews I have ever, ever done in terms of like the energy and, and just the content that comes out of it and the life advice that comes out of it. I'm sitting down with my friend, Dan Martell, and we are talking about everything from the time he was arrested and the prison guard that said something that changed his trajectory forever. And then we're going to get into how we can make great big differences in people's lives with little small gestures here and there. I'm telling you, like, it's going to be hard to keep a dry eye as he tells some of these stories. And then we're going to talk, of course, about his multiple exits in tech and the incredible wealth that he's been able to to create and, and the good things that he's been able to do since he's created this, this wealth. But most of all, most of all, we're going to talk about the fact that he has mastered balancing life and success. He has a formula for it. He has a system for it. And he has an incredible new book that we're going to talk about for it as well. As a matter of fact, stick with us to the end, because as you know, I love to give away books and I'm giving away books to those of you who make it to the end. Got a fun little task for you. So anyhow, you're going to love this episode because I loved this episode. I loved this chat and I love everything about Dan Martell. So get ready, listen up, because here we go. All right, Dan, my my new friend, I should say, you know, I've, I've only known you for a very short period here, but you're easy to fall in love with right away. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're on. Chris, it's an honor, man. I'm going to set an intention. I know this is crazy, but I would love to set the intention. This is one of the best podcast conversations you have, which sets, I know the bar is set crazy high because I know your yeah. guests, but that's the one intention. So I really want to serve your audience. And uh, two, I'm an open book, 110%, whatever can serve. I'm really honored to, to be here. I love that. One, I'm big on setting intentions. Two, let's knock this thing out of the park. I know that we're going to... To do that, I want to start somewhere really special. I want to open by asking you about a prison guard named Brian. Mm. He had a profound effect on your life. Tell me about this man named Brian and, and what happened. Yeah, this is like 1996. I'm 16 years old. I grew up in a really challenging environment in and out of the system, foster care, group homes, got into drugs, became an addict at 14, prison at 15, released, like just, you know, just a trouble. I was second oldest of four. My family, my dad was 
not home often. My mom was an alcoholic. So a lot of trauma, a lot of challenges. And um, when I was 16, I found myself in an adult prison due to the severity of my crimes. And I'd gotten in a fight with this, uh, this kid named Kirk. As a teenager, I don't know if you had friends that were like, for whatever reason, they were like built like a muscle. Like Kirk had an eight pack. And it didn't make <laughs> sense to me. Because it's like, I always hated that they looked like a, a 35 year old, fit 35 year old, and they're exactly made no sense. So, anyways, we're having breakfast, and he goes for the coffee, and I'd taken the last of it. And he goes, you know, he starts, Who's the goof that drank the last coffee? And well, next thing you know, like, fight goes off, and we get picked up, thrown in, thrown in solitary confinement, what they call the hole. And uh, it's probably like the worst thing you could do to another human. You're in your underwear. 23 and a half hours a day, lights on 24 seven. And I'm just sitting there staring at like the stainless steel toilet sink thing. Like no books, no, inf- like you're just sitting there and they don't even tell you how long you're there for. So it's like, am I here for a week? Am I here for two days? They let you out into this area. It's like caged in four walls. Yes, you're outside, but you're not. And um, what happened on the third day, the door opens and it's this garden named Brian. And Brian was like one of those guards. He'd been working there for probably a decade. And he was the kind of guy that would like look the other way if you respected him, you know? So like extra dessert, a little longer playing certain games, you know, grabbing some stuff, bringing it to your cell. You shouldn't be, but like, you know, you're not breaking any laws, but he would, you know, you respect him. He would give you some leeway. So I had a lot of admiration for him, even though, you know, he was a guard and, and that's usually not the way that works. So when he opens the door, he was just like shaking his head in disappointment. And he just says, follow me. And I was like, oh man, you know, like Brian wasn't there when the fight broke out. And he's uh, walking me back to the cell block. And uh, as we're walking down the hallway, we go past the door to the cell block to the next door, which is the guard unit. And the guard unit is like on the corner of these two cell blocks. And it's the inside of the one-way mirror that I'd never seen inside of. And no inmates were allowed there. And he opens the door and he says, come on in. And I was like, I didn't know what, like, I was like, I'm not, I thought, I thought it was a test. Right. I was like, kind of hesitated. And he's like, you know, come on in. And he, um, he asked me to sit down in the corner, you know, my back's facing the one way mirror. So I'm like in this room and he grabs a cherry, pulls it up in front of me where he's sitting down, kind of looking at me in my eyes. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I got in a fight with Kirk and they threw us in the hole. And he goes, no, not, not that. He goes, what are you doing here in this place? And I was like, well, I got in a high-speed chase and I had a gun. And he goes, no, not not that. He goes, Dan, what are you doing here? Because I've been working here for a decade and you don't belong here. And he goes, if you've never heard this, I want you to know that that doesn't make sense to me that you're in this place. And... I, I don't know. There was just something inside of me at that moment where I was just like, maybe he know like, because I was like, okay, he has no reason to tell me this. And he knows all the other kids. And I don't think I've ever seen him pull anybody else aside. And like, maybe he sees something and I don't see him myself. And that began this seed of a belief inside of me that allowed me to take three months to work through getting out of that place to release to a rehab center that I spent 11 months where I finished off my sentence. And this crazy story, Chris, at the end of this program, I rebuilt this relationship with my family and the trust that I had lost and my self-worth and my emotions and my feelings. 
I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the cabins and because uh, it was built on an old church camp. And there was an old computer with the yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. And I don't know, something spoke to me. And I opened up this book and followed chapter one. And in 20 minutes, I had the computer saying, hello world. Wow. And I, and I thought, maybe you're old enough to remember Doogie Hauser, or maybe not. But yeah, I thought for was sure. The, Doogie Hauser MD. I, I thought I was I'm the actually, Doogie Hauser of coding. You, believe it or not. That's crazy. So like yeah. that, that was, that was this weird another moment in my life where I was like, it just spoke to me. And I just kept, I became obsessed. It became my new addiction. It literally saved my life. Software programming, 1997, 98. And I get out and I discover this cute little thing called the internet. And I've gone on to, as you know, you, you mentioned like built software companies and exited those in Silicon Valley and invested in 50 companies and $4 billion companies like my life looks completely different. It all started because gardening Brian took the time to share with me a belief. Dan, I don't want to brush over this. You get visibly emotional when you talk about Brian and it's been years. And I'm guessing you've told this story, you know, hundreds of times and yet it still evokes this emotion. Does, yeah. Do you think you'd, you would have had any shot, any trajectory, any other intervention that would have put you on the path that you're on today without Brian? Dude, that's, I think, why I get emotional because I was just like, I think of my kids in the life I live today. And like, if you look at the numbers, like statistically, I'm an anomaly. Yeah. And my dad thinks of this all the time. Like I have an incredible relationship with my dad and he just, he just like is in awe of like just when we hang out, he's like, do you remember? Like telling the story, it's almost like I'm telling a story of a movie yeah. that I watched on the weekend because it's such a departure of my current reality and has been since then, right? I've been sober since then. I live a completely different life. But that moment, because I can't imagine, like obviously it's hard to remember. This is 25 years ago, almost to the day. I don't know if there were other people in my life, trying to speak that into me. You know what I mean? Like I had caseworkers and social workers and therapists and all this stuff. And you got to imagine that they thought maybe like that, because I know I see stuff. And I just think there was just something about that moment in who the person was. And I, dude, this is why like, one of my favorite things to do is to let people know about their giftedness, about who they are, about the belief I see in them, because it costs nothing. It takes no time and it can absolutely transform somebody's life. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and cause it did mine. And, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I really wonder like what scenario would have had to been true for another adult in the context that I would have listened, that it would have like, cut through the noise and the beliefs that I had inside about my self-worth, which was zero. And that I was going to be somebody that just spent their lives in and out of prison. Cause that's what I was told my whole life. It's like, you will be in the system. If you go back a second time, you're just now part of the system. And I, and I knew these kids, I meet them. There was one guy, Lewick, he, he'd been in prison for three and a half years. And that was just like, he resolved, like, that's just my life. I'm going to get out for six months, maybe three months. I'm going to be right back. And they, people would leave and literally we'd see them back in six weeks. It was, it was crazy. Dan, I've got to, I've got to ask, you know, you, as, as you acknowledged, ended up with an extraordinary life and, and accolades and people who follow you and people who want to learn from you and, and all the wealth that's come along with it and the exits and all that stuff. 
I'm guessing Brian probably didn't follow the same path. I'm guessing he probably stayed a prison guard for quite some time and, and who knows, but I'm guessing as a prison guard, you don't end up with immense wealth and a lot of accolades. Have you ever tried to seek him out and let him know the difference that he made in your life or, or where you ended up today because of that moment? I got lucky because as you can imagine, getting connected to a prison guard. <laughs> pretty tough. <laughs> they don't make various reasons. It, why it literally took to it. me years. Okay. And it, it's because of a woman named Helen, who was a caseworker at Portage Rehab Center, that after I was sober for close to five years, she felt comfortable enough to help make that connection, right? Because like, they don't make it easy. And here's what's crazy about Brian is he didn't really remember that moment. Mm -hmm. He remembers me because yeah. this, this would have been years later, almost like eight years later. And that just tells me, I think that I may not have been the only kid that he did that with. Sure. And that yeah. just might've been his way of giving in this world which is so beautiful. So when you, it's incredible. And I know. So it's like, do, you know, it's crazy. So like he, he definitely had a different life than I did, but he was just a simple person with an incredible heart. And he saw in certain kids because he didn't do it with everybody. Cause I did ask him, but it was just like part of who he was and how he showed up. And, and he was just like a, you know, good old boy kind of guy, right? Oh. Like a man's man. Right. But he had a heart to him that he would take the time to just pat you on the back and say, you should probably stay out of that. You're better than that. That's incredible. That's incredible. Obviously, you, you identify as a philanthropist now and, and you go out of your way to do a lot of great things for other people. We have a tagline with this show. When good people make good money, they can do great things. Give us an example of how you've taken that intervention, that moment that Brian had with you. Obviously, it led you to the trajectory you have today. Give us an example of how you work hard to pay that back to other people now. Well, so what's crazy, Chris, is you asked me like, you know, you've shared this story in the past. It took me 15 years to ever share that story. I was, wow. Yeah, dude. It was, uh, if you know Jason Gaynard for MMT, it was nine years ago, almost 10 years ago. I was the first speaker at his first event. And I was supposed to give a talk about work-life integration. And he mentions that, to the charity side, he goes, Oh, by the way, whoever gives the best talk voted by the audience, I'm giving a $25,000 check to the charity of their choice. And for me, that was portage my whole life. Like even after secretly never told anybody, I would go three, four times a year to talk to the kids. It just occurred to me that I was trying to be the Brian to them. So it was a big part of my life, but I just kept it secret because there's a lot of shame. I didn't want anybody to not support my business or judge me or whatever. I just never talked about it. And when Jason told me that, I remember going back to my uh, hotel room because I'd never given the talk and I didn't want to like completely break down on stage. So I like, and uh, as I was leaving to go to my hotel room, my wife's there, she's pregnant with our second her and her, she goes, Hey, my parents, my parents were taking care of our first because they're 11 months apart. They were in towns in Toronto. And uh, she goes, uh, Hey, is it okay? My, my parents want to surprise you, but they're going to come watch your talk. And I was like, <laughs> can you make sure they don't leave? And she's like, why? And I go, I may share some stuff. Just make sure. And Renee had never heard it. My wife at the time, never, never heard me share the story. She knew I got in trouble, but she didn't understand to the extent. And I gave the talk. And I remember that was the moment that I realized I want people to know who I am at my core. 
because they'll now understand why I'm so driven, why I'm so passionate about this. So like from a philanthropy point of view, I mean, I've donated millions to at-risk youth programs, but more importantly, my time. Like every Friday afternoon, it is blocked out. That is, I mean, I was speaking at program last week. I did three talks. I do them online. I, I go to Portage. I mean, I've landed to go do a keynote and then I would like, jump in a car, drive an hour and a half to go talk to 18 boys. Because like, I don't know, I, I learned a long time ago, you can only keep what you give away. So like, I give away my story, my, my sobriety, my, you know, inspiration, because that's what keeps me it's why I'm here, man. Like, that's the truth. I love the software stuff I do. And people know me as that guy. But that's like a vehicle to do more. Because that's not that was the thing that became my new addiction. And I, it became my obsession, which is beautiful. And like business became like this personal development program, right? Like what I love about business is I always have to ask myself, who do I need to become for this next level? And it forced me to be a better person. It forced me to keep doing capital, the work, right? Like, but I know why I'm here on earth. And I think that's been an unfair advantage I've had. I just kept it to myself for 15 years. But I would say the thing I'm most proud of, Chris, is like on a daily basis, I slow down to let people know what I see in them. And I don't care if it's the person working at the restaurant or somebody that's helping out in a yard or whatever. Like I literally, if I see somebody doing something, and my wife is funny because like, like it causes us to be late. We were at the border <laughs> control and I saw a dad being an amazing dad. And I like went across the line under the thing. And I just said, Hey, excuse me, can I just share with you? Like I've watched you with your kids. You're an incredible dad. Wow. What I just needed you to know that. And I hope that's okay. And then I walk away and how do you, know, man, I just, how, how, how do you react? He just was like, thanks. It's just one of those things where it catches people by this blind yeah. side. And I don't know why, but Chris, like I just, I told myself a long time ago, if it speaks to my soul, like if I actually notice it, I almost feel like I'm not honoring my God if I don't say something. Like I just can't, for whatever reason, that experience, that moment, because there's thousands of people in a lineup, I'm go, you're going to a bunch of restaurants. But if, if for whatever reason, I see something exceptional in a kid, in an adult, in any person, I don't know, man. I just, I feel like if I don't do it, that I'm not honoring the person that saved my life. Dan, I love that you do that because, you know, you've probably heard the phrase, what gets recognized gets repeated. And nobody, like you said, they're taken off guard. Nobody takes the time to tell a stranger that they're doing an extra good job on the yard or they're doing an, an extra good job as a dad or a mom or they're doing an extra good job you know, with, with, with joy in their heart, you know, handing a burger over the counter. No one stops to tell people that. And when you stop to share that with somebody, they feel so seen that that might be their Brian type intervention that keeps them going. That might be their moment where they realize maybe I am special. Maybe people see this extra effort and then they, what do they do? They lean into that extra effort. What gets, what gets recognized? I've never heard that quote before. I really love that. Yeah. I want to ask you to address all of the listeners who might be holding back from a place of shame or building their business, but half-heartedly from a place of shame, or they haven't taken that first step yet from a place of shame, or, hey, maybe they're off to the races, maybe they got a million dollar business, but they're not even tapping their potential because they're afraid their story will come out from a place of shame. Talk to that listener. 
why should they just put their cards on the table and, and shed that fear forever? I mean, Chris, I've had hundreds of people after I've shared my story come up to me and, and they always, it always starts like this. I really would like if we kept this between us. Mm. And then they share. I, you know, recently guy goes, you know, I ended up spending four years in prison in my 20s. This is a 48-year-old man. Nobody knows. I want to do something with it. I don't know how. So I, I get it. Like I, I, I was that person and I get asked hundreds of times. Here's the reality, okay? To say there was no downside of me publicly sharing that wouldn't be true because I actually, I was telling you earlier, my wife and I were planning on moving to the US, to San Diego. And the reason it got delayed is because as soon as I went to apply for a visa, the lawyers searched on the internet. Mm. Well, guess what shows up when you search on the internet? My about page and my story and my YouTube videos and me talking about this background and in the in one of the application forms, it says, have you ever committed a crime? And I put no, because I wasn't an adult and I don't have a record, but it's not true. So I had to go and spend 16 months and probably $40,000 in lawyer fees to get a pardon. Wow. Wow. So I do understand personally that there is a potential downside that is real for certain people, depending on their circumstance. But I will say this, bring it on a thousand times. I would do it over and over. There was like the amount of relationships and empathy and support and just being me, not like, oh man, what did somebody say once? Oh, the cave you fear to enter most holds the treasure that you seek. Yeah. Wow. That's Joseph good. Campbell. Wow. And or the man who has nothing to fear is the most dangerous man in the room. Yep. And so like when you allow yourself to take that fear off and share yourself 100% who you are, man, people just react. And that's what happened. I got off stage and in the room at the time, there's about 200 people there. Mark Echo from Echo Clothing, Tim Ferriss, and a bunch of other incredible speakers. And I'd known some of these people like lightly through the tech community in San Francisco. And I remember Tim came up to me and we had, we again, social. And he goes, that was one of the most powerful things that I had no idea. And he like, kind of gave me a hug in his little awkward Tim way, you know? So like, I was like, <laughs> I go, thanks. I don't know. Like, this is the thing is what I've learned is I don't know what their journey has been. I don't know if they were affected by this. I've had people at events come up and go, I was a foster parent. I want to thank you because some kids, we don't know what happened to them. My foster dad, this guy named Dave, I went back just like I did with Brian and I apologized. I was the worst dude. I was a little 12, 13 year old troublemaker and gosh, bless that guy's soul. He put up with me and he didn't have to. And I, at 19, I went back once, you know, I had to, I had to have some success first. Like I couldn't, it wasn't right away. Like I, I felt, you know, and I went and I found him and he was blown away. He was just like, how? And I was like, I don't know. You know, because that's the other question I get asked. It's like, what did I figure out that sometimes kids don't? And I don't know, man. I just, I think I got a gift at a very young age to understand that my life is not unlimited. I wasn't supposed to make it. You know, they say it's, it's death, prison or institutions. That's, that was my reality. And somehow I didn't end up there. And I just wake up every day to honor 
that. It's incredible. That's, that's my drive. It's incredible. You know, I, I would love to spend the next infinite amount of time asking you about all of your exits and your success and what makes a successful founder and all that stuff. But, but there's plenty of interviews where people can go get that information from you. Where I would like to shift gears into is another area that, that you're an expert. And that is actually living the life that you've been gifted, right? And we know in your case, this is definitely a gift. It was not the trajectory you were on. And I feel like we live in a time where it's an epidemic of people losing themselves and losing their relationships and losing their families to work or to building their business. And they just wake up one day and they had good intentions when they started, but boy, they're unhealthy or their relationship is ruined or, or the kids don't know who they are, right? And you can never get that time back. You seem to have mastered a lot of this. Heck, it's, it's what your new book is about, you know, buy, buy back your time. Was there a moment in your life where you were not this aligned? Was there a moment where you said, damn it, I got to figure this out? Where, where did becoming an expert in living this way come from? Yeah, through pain and trauma. I cannot teach without first telling you specifically where I messed up. And the, I, it's just not, that's not how I've learned, right? And what happened was, like, I started as an entrepreneur at 17, right after I got out of rehab, I had to finish high school, I went back, I was like a uh, mature student. And then but while I was there, I started building these software businesses and tools and stuff. And, but I failed, I literally started, failed, started again, and failed. And it wasn't until I was 24, that I hired, I read, a, I finally started reading business books. It took me a while. It took me seven years to read a business book, which seems duh in hindsight. But I read the E-Myth. I hired this guy named Bob Simpson. He was an E-Myth coach. Even before I had the third business, I was just like, didn't want to do that insanity thing, right? The same thing over and over again. And I only had one gear, which is GSD, get, get shit done, get things done. Just, just give it everything. I was just, cause I was just so like, fearful of failing. Like my dad obviously went through a lot of stuff with me as a kid and he would beg me to get a job. He's like, I really don't think you should do this. I'm like, I just don't know how else like dad, I love you, but like, I cannot work for somebody else. I'm too opinionated. So I just showed up and that's why Bob really liked working with me as a, as a mentee and as and him as a coach, because like, I didn't have a gap between him telling me to do something and doing it. But it also came with the downside where I was working 100 hours a week. And that's and like, my wife asked me, how do you work 100 hours a week? I was like, babes, I'm probably lying. It was more because it's six hours of sleep. Do the math. Like, and it was seven days a week. Because I was just so scared to fail again. And what happened was, is during this time, I built this incredible company. Spheric Technologies, multi-million dollar company. We did one point some million in 12 months and then just kept snowballing. Like, yeah. Uh, like 150% growth compounded four years in a row. And I was 24 when I started. So 28 Sunday afternoon, I'm working at my office. Like I did every Sunday, literally that was the thing. And I was engaged to this woman. And usually I come home at 11. I was supposed to be home at 11 because she had some birthday party. She wanted me to go with her at two o'clock. I'm like, Oh no, I run home. I walk in the house and she's sitting there in the kitchen and in tears just beside herself. And she just takes the ring off. I'm done can't do this. Ouch. And it had not been the first time she'd told me this. Yeah. But I knew. And she just walks past me. She can't even speak. Broke down and went to her parents' house seven weeks before the wedding. Oh. And my heart broke. I mean, it was, it was so crazy because it was about five months before we exited the company. 
And I was telling myself, just trust me, I'm doing this for us. I'm doing this for our future. I'm doing this for our family. And I couldn't even see in front of me. Dude, Chris, I was so ridiculous that like my best friend Nick's having a birthday party and I show up with my laptop and I'm sitting in the living room, like full on on my laptop, partying, parties going off. And in my head, I'm saying to myself, I'm the best friend ever because I'm so busy. And here I am at his birthday party. I don't miss anything for my friends. And if you talk to him today, he would tell you, there was a period where Dan was so ridiculous and he couldn't understand. He's like, why did you even come? And And I was like, what? And that, so what happened was, is after my fiance left me, like I had a moment, I had a moment of like, cause I'm, I'm so driven and creative. Like I want to create, but I was so bad at being in a relationship that I actually asked myself and I had to go see a therapist cause it really affected my, like I was having anxiety attacks and like I, my whole identity, my whole life just like pfft, evaporated. And I was questioning if I could ever be in a relationship. Like real talk, Chris, I was like for six months, I thought I have to become okay resolving the fact that I will always be by myself, that I should not have kids. I shouldn't have a family. I'm not a great person to be in a relationship with. I'd rather create wealth and give that to the kids at Portage and support. That's my gift. That's what I'm here to do. And that's just what it's going to be. Luckily, I moved to San Francisco and I see a completely different way that people build companies, that they look for leverage. I meet a guy named Naval Ravikant, who a lot of people know today. I learn about the four ways people get leverage. I understand how to scale. Like I, I just got exposed to this completely different way of building companies. And this concept that I, I created at the time called the buyback principle, right? We don't hire people to grow our business. We hire people to buy back our time as the CEO. Because if you don't do that, you will build a business that you grow to hate. Expand more on the buyback principle. I, I freaking love this concept. Expand more on that. The idea is that as people grow in their business, they usually hit this thing I call the pain wall, where more growth equals more pain in their calendar. And it's very simple. It's say 10x next month. How does your calendar blow up? And the person would say, well, we don't have capacity for this. And I'd have to do all these sales calls. And I did it. So like most people, literally, when they hit the pain wall, they either decide, and we've all been there. I was there. I've, I've been there. I decide to stall. Like, I don't want to grow anymore. Is it okay if I, my buddy Matt was an electrical company? He goes, you know, Dan, I know you're always talking about growth. Is it okay if I don't want to grow? And I go, here's the deal, Matt. The world isn't stopping to grow. And GDP growth happens every year, whether you like it or not. Inflation's happening on the dollar. So you can't, you think you're not growing. Your customers are not going to demand less of you year over year. And as soon as somebody else does something better, they're going to bounce. And the worst part is your best people are going to leave because if you don't create a future big enough for their dreams to fit inside of, they ain't sticking around. So your stall idea sounds great, not going to work. You know, sabotage is usually what people go to next where they literally psychologically sabotage their success because they're hitting up against this pain line of their calendar. So they'll do things like, you know, you'll email somebody, you'll be like, hey, I've got an opportunity to get you in front of 1500 people. And they'll drag their feet replying to an email for 7, 10, 20 days. And then finally they reply because they had a moment of clarity on a Sunday afternoon when they're processing their blown up inbox. And you're like, uh, yeah, that opportunity's gone. 
Ugh. You know, so they don't even realize it, right? They sabotage by delaying hiring decisions, making the wrong decision. I talk about in the book, this whole idea of like addicted to chaos, right? Most entrepreneurs actually grew up in chaos. And because of that, when things are going good, they actually throw hand grenades in their business to create chaos because that feels normal. Wow. Yeah, there's a whole chapter called the uh, time assassins, because I knew if I didn't talk about that, teaching you how to buy back your time to only be on the receiving end of you and the emotional shrapnel that you create in your business day over day is not going to get you the result I need you to get, which is to create a life that is doing things that light you up and make you a lot of money yep. that only you can do. And that's, that was the, the philosophy. So the buyback principle, that's the principle. It's like a first principle, right? You can't grow a $10 million business off $10 tasks. Right. And then the question is, okay, what am I supposed to do with my time? That's why I created the buyback loop. And the buyback loop states when you hit the pain line, you then do an audit. Okay. And I teach this called the time and energy audits. First thing I do with all my coaching clients, we understand what are the things that suck your energy? What are the things that light you up? What are the things that are expensive to give to other people to support you on? And what are the things that are least expensive? And then you take all the stuff that's red, that sucks your energy, that's like low cost, and you put it in a bucket. And then you look at your labor, your payroll, every month you're spending money, whether you like it or not, on people. And you go, why am I not paying to get this out of my life, out of your calendar, right? So once you audit, then you learn how to transfer. And most people are not good at this. So I teach about in the book, I wanted to like say, here's my methodology, the four C's of the transfer protocol. And then the most important part that a lot of people miss is once you buy back some time, the fill. So it's audit, transfer, fill. And Phil is all about, I look at it this way. There's a ladder of success while trying to climb. And you, I don't, know, I don't know if we had this conversation, but it's like, who do I need to become to achieve this success, right? Here's what I learned. There's only three aspects. The ladder is made up of the beliefs that you have around the world, the skills that you have to produce outcomes, and the character traits of who you are. And that's like the steps. Yeah. So... When you're looking at filling your calendar back up, that's the lens you should look at. And for most people, it's either doing more of the thing that makes them the most money. And until that's at capacity, then it's looking at the skills that you need to develop, which is around strategy and know-how. And like, I've got to invest in understanding how to build this thing. Then I probably should invest in some mindset belief side because if I have a weird belief on the world, I know a lot of skilled people that have bad beliefs and they are not successful. Right. And those two things are not enough because you need the character traits to actually incorporate it into who you are so that it's not effort anymore. It's just who you become. So then it's easier to get to the next level because there is no place where you stop if you choose to create what I call their empire. An empire is waking up every day to literally create in a way that you never have to retire from. Oh, and people don't like the, that they're like mission, by the way, that's amazing. Yeah, I know people are like, what does build your empire mean? And I go, I want you to wake up and create every day in a life you never have to retire from. Yeah. Because you want to create not because you have to anymore. No, you don't have to. And doing it is awesome. And the people you work with is incredible. And there's no retiring of being you because this is who you are. Yeah. It's kind of a weird idea. People are like, well, what does retirement look like? I go, look at my life. This is what it, it's looked like this for a decade. This is, there's nothing to retire from. This is just who I am and what I enjoy. And it just happens to create value and, you know, an economic upside. But that, because I kept doing the buyback loop, right? That's why it's such a powerful concept. If I keep auditing my cow, I literally do 
the time and energy audit probably every four months because my life is very dynamic. I'm always trying to expand. I mean, last year I did Ironmans. I run two eight-figure companies. I invest in companies. Like, But I'm like, okay, I'm spending 20 hours a month on this thing. Okay, that's a chunk of thing that I need to hire somebody to take over. And I'm literally, I sit down with my executive assistant every four months and we do the audit and then we build a hiring plan. And that's and how it works. you data to it like that. It makes it very easy to see the logical next steps, right? And, and you've taken, you've, you've systematized this so that we can apply, just see it as data and then sort the data, do more of this, less this. I love that because it makes it simple. In the book, part of figuring out what to do with this data is the buyback rate. It's something you mm. actually calculate, right? What's, what's the buyback rate? How do we figure that out? Yeah, like I said, buyback principle is a first principle that's mathematically backed. And what I mean by that is, if you understand what your time is worth, Okay, most people think they know, but I'm going to tell you the formula. And then you identify your buyback rate, then anytime you're doing anything that you could have paid somebody else to do for your buyback rate is actually working against you. Amen. Yep. Like headwind, like swimming upstream, like you're literally for no good reason, other than you're scared, you're working harder than you should. So the buyback rate is, is, is like this. Take your income. So this is the profit. This is your, I always say your, you know, your payroll, what you pay yourself, the distributions that you take. And let's just throw out all those uh, discretionary expenses because nobody likes to pay taxes to their business, you know. So like like add all that too. So it's like discretionary expenses and your distributions and your profit and your payroll and all that. And like that's you. Okay. So so you take that income, then you do two equations. You divide that by 2000 because that's the amount of hours in a year. For most people, on average, 160 days, or I forget the math, but it's about 2000 hours in a year. So if you're making 100,000 a year, then you're making $50 an hour at that level. But the buyback rate is you take that number divided by a quarter, right? A fourth, because I want you to get a four times ROI on your time. It's not about trading for one for one. Interesting. Yeah. So if you actually do it just like this, you don't even have to do a time and energy audit. If you just make a list of everything you do in a week and you just look at it and you go, what could I pay somebody else that buyback rate to do? If you don't do that, you are a very underpaid assistant. So let's help people with the math as they're listening. Hundred thousand a year income. We'll start yeah. there. Equals fifty dollars, essentially hourly income. Your and your, if you your divide that rate. by a quarter. It's technically twelve dollars and fifty cents. Yep, that's your buyback rate. So it becomes a game because I want my buyback rate to be huge, like five thousand, ten thousand, twenty. Right. Like you want it to be the biggest, right? Where you're like. And like, this is where we're at, where it's like, hey, maybe I should fry private for this thing. Yep. Yep. Right. And some people are like, that's crazy. It's like, no, because I know what my hour's worth. And if I can do this, this, and this because of that, then it actually economically makes a lot of sense. And what you will not see me do, because it's a feedback loop for me, is anything. Like, it's so funny where like some people like hang out with me and they're like, do you not do anything? And I'm like, no, because if I do it, I feel like I'm dishonoring the time I could be with you or my kids or working on myself to grow, to give more, to build the company. So I literally am, I almost, I use it as like a feedback loop and I just will choose not to do stuff that could I could have done. Instead, I'll work on the system to make sure it never becomes part of my reality. Like I haven't, I mean, it sounds crazy, Chris, but like I haven't put gas in my car I don't manage my insurance and stuff. Like we have a house manager, we have a team. I want to do only things that I can do that light me up that I'm uniquely qualified to do. 
And that is the rhythm that I teach. That's an advanced move. People should just start with simple stuff like, hey, why don't you have somebody help clean your house a couple times a week? Right. And what I love so much about your buyback rate, and, and I'd never heard the wrinkle where you divide it by four, so you get a four X return. You have to get the four X return or, or you're not. Yeah. And I love that. And what I love about it is, you know, you and I talk about, hey, I should fly private because it'll save me this time. And here's a value time where you say, I have a house manager and I've got people who pay my bills and I haven't been to the grocery. Like, I understand that. You understand that. But a lot of people listening, they can't comprehend that yet. Right. That they're like, I'm just barely trying to get through my day and wonder which bill I'm going to pay next month, much less paying somebody else for this. So what this does is it mathematically gives them permission to know exactly which tasks they can hire. Let's use the 12, 15 hour, which tasks they can hire for 12, 15 hour and which ones they can't. And the ones they can, then by obligation, they need to have faith in the math that they need to go hire out those tasks that they can find someone to do. for And, and it can be part-time. That's why I call it out-tasking. The, tr- the, the audit transfer fill, I'm not saying full-time. It could be somebody in the Philippines at $5 an hour, right? It could be a yard person. And, and, and what's cool about it, here, you'll get this more than most. It's the, t- the energy side of it. So check this out. So let's just say like just pure math and productivity. Again, you can't build a $10 million business off $10 tasks. There's not enough hours in a week. Okay. So you got to buy back your time. That's why we hire employees. Just most people hire employees in the wrong sequence. Yeah. That's, that's why they hit the pain line. They wake up and then like they, they, I call it trans, uh, transactional management. And they're like telling people what to do and checking they got it done and tell them what to do next. And by six o'clock, they realize they didn't do any of their projects. And then they work from like nine till one in the morning, trying to get caught up on emails and proposals and all this stuff. So like they're doing all the administrative stuff, right? So I have a whole framework called the replacement ladder that, that serves people to understand what is the sequence of hiring. But even, even before that, if you just think about when you take things out of your life that sucks your energy and you stack it with things that give you energy, Mm-hmm. The amplification of that, because creation is attention, attention, intention, and belief. So people don't understand the raw power of positive emotion stacked like hour after hour in a day to create when they're not going energy flow up and down by doing things that suck their energy. I'm, like that alone will pay for an executive assistant 10 times over. God, that's incredible. I love your, your framework. I love your, your perspective on this. And, and, and the way you explain it makes it digestible for everyone who's, who's making their very first investment, right, to protect their time. I remember back when Lori and I had lost everything and we we're starting over financially from below zero. I said to Lori, I said, babe, we've got to hire someone to clean the house because Lori was the star, right? She was getting into her fitness career and I could, we were going to build everything around her brand and the whole nine yards. I said, honey, we need to free you from doing all these other things that you call, you know, $10 tasks can't build a $10 million company, right? And because we were broke at the time, and because we were starting over, we had such guilt around hiring out the cleaning of the house, we had such hesitation We everything about what society would teach you is it was wrong. But I knew in my heart of hearts, that $90 a week that we were going to spend and boy, at the time, it sounded like a $9 million a lot of money, right? That $90 a week was going to be what gave her and I the energy not just the time, but the energy to show up as our best and, and build this comeback. And sure enough, that took root. And, and, and that's one of the smallest moves that had the biggest impact for us to be able to create what we created today. It, it's incredible. I know that you're bumping up against time here. So, so the last question is this. Buy back your time, your new book. 
I know we're on pre-orders right now. Where's the best place for everybody to go get this? Because they have to get their hands on it. I'd, re- I'd recommend people can go to Amazon, wherever they want, retailers, et cetera, but go to buybackyourtime.com. And the reason why is in the book, I, my publisher didn't allow me to put too many of the frameworks and diagrams. So I had things like the preloaded year. That's one of the most powerful frameworks to help people design intentionality. I give you all the math. I give you all the worksheets. I really wanted to make sure that I walked you through the system for those that feel called to do it. But the book is the beliefs and the story and the research. Like I worked for two and a half years unpacking not only my own stories, literally clients, and then auditing how the best in the world that we all admire from the Oprah's to the Richard Brands. I mean, I spent a week with Richard. He's the one that taught me how to level up my executive assistant game. And I thought I was good. I was missing the boat. And I talk about that. Yeah. Seth Godin teaches me stuff because the best performers, you know, Chris, when you actually get around them, they're great at this. I call them time traders. So that is the game, right? If you think about the buyback rate, the game we play every year is to increase that buyback rate potential because we're creating more value to then buy back more time. That's why I say you can build a business you don't grow to hate because the more you grow, the more time you get back, which sounds like a pipe dream. Sounds like so like this is baloney. I'm telling you, it's not. You just have to have some faith like you did. I absolutely right, love that. Okay, guess what? Hiring that person so powerful. It really is powerful. I, I can talk about this all day with you. I want everybody to hit pause right now, run over to Amazon and buy yourself a copy of Buy Back Your Time or go to buybackyourtime.com so you can get the extra tools that Dan's providing you there. And I want to do a little something special for you. I love giving away books. It's, I think it's one of the best treasures you can give somebody to the first 25 people that listen to this, that tag you and I on Instagram with their favorite takeaway from what you taught my team will buy and send them a book. Now, remember, it's pre-order right now. So be patient, wait for your books. But all you guys have to do is tag both Dan and myself on Instagram with your favorite takeaway. The first 25 of you that do that, my team will buy you guys a book and and send it over once they're available. Dan, any closing words? No, I Chris, as I mentioned before we got going, I've been a fan of your podcast, of Lori and yourself, your story. Renee and I, my wife, we absolutely appreciate the way you guys show up and share this is more of like, I want to make sure I give you your roses, right? As we have a chance to, to close up. Because when I was thinking of people I wanted to share this message with, you were one of those people. And I look forward to anytime you want to talk more, but obviously I, I love this stuff. But it, it's an honor, man. I'm just, I, I'm really on a mission to start a movement. Like I really want buying back your time to be vernacular in the entrepreneurial community so that friends can see somebody struggling and going, hey, you need, you need, and I don't care if they buy my book or not. I don't care if they te- take everything from my book and teach it as their own. I honestly don't care. I just want people to understand there's a different approach to doing it that will allow the ones, the driven ones, because they're the ones I, I, that was me, right? Like you're going to create, you're going to show up, you're willing to do the work. I call them frustrated builders, right? They're the ones that say, look, I'm willing to do it. Just tell me which way to go. I just want to make sure those people don't self-inflict a lot of emotional shrapnel along the journey. They don't have to because it's going to stop them from creating more. So that's my my why. It is one of the most important lessons that you can ever teach anybody is how how in this very short life, they can squeeze more time and therefore squeeze more life out of it. Because we blink and it's gone and we have all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. So your your mission is the most important mission right now. Dan, I can't thank you enough for being on. means the world. I can't wait to have more of these conversations. I think that you are hands down one of the, the, the dopest dudes I've ever met. And I just can't wait to grow this friendship. Thanks, Chris. 
Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success. 